Welcome to Pop On Leadership, a conversation with two friends who are obsessed with leadership development and the world of pop culture. So we decided to combine the two. I'm Kara Kirby. And I'm Virginia Martinez. We work with organizations all over the world to inspire and implement people-first practices. We're here to talk about navigating the workplace, and we do it through the lens of great television. Let's get into it. Welcome back, everyone. We are on episode six. Episode six. Oh, my goodness. I cannot be more excited to talk about this episode because I think that it, I already talked about this last time, but it's the most romantic episode that has ever been on TV and the history of romance on TV. I loved it so much. So um, we definitely have, we have a special guest for you today that Virginia is going to tell you all about. But so we have this kind of juxtaposition of talking about this beautiful, beautiful romantic episode and Rebecca. And then we're also going to talk, we have a special guest for you today that's going to talk to us all about decision-making. So we're so excited to jump right in. Virginia, what happens in episode six? Well, yes, I'm. we have a special guest, Alexis Gonzalez-Black. Thank you for joining us. Woo. So you, this is, by the way, Alexis, you're the first, like, person we've had on to actually talk about an episode with us, which we take very seriously. <laughs> I'm so, so honored. Thank you for having so me. So don't mess it up. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to definitely talk a little bit about your background in a second, but let me just recap the episode. So in this episode called Sunflowers, the team is doing an exhibition game, a friendly game in Amsterdam. So they're, tr- they're abroad, which is super fun. They lose the game, but that's not even the point of it. There's a couple of other like little tiny plot lines like Keeley's being whisked away by Jack. We're starting to see the early signs of, you know, just Jack being too much. Higgins introduces Will to jazz and gets to perform at a jazz club. Very cute. We also find out like Colin Colin and Trent bond because, you know, whatever they it turns out they're both gay and they like connect and they have a lot of fun and there's like a safe relationship there. Um, Also very adorable in the show. Roy being upset takes it on Jamie. Nothing new there, but we learn that Roy doesn't know how to ride a bike. And Jamie teaches him and so much sweetness. Um, but the two main things we're gonna talk about, because there's so much in this episode, we could just dedicate so much to this, is one, Rebecca's little stroll through Amsterdam, where she falls off the bridge into the canal. It's kind of the, the psychic predicted this would happen and she gets not rescued, but you know, she meets this hunky, hunky <laughs> Dutch guy who lives in a houseboat and we learn about Gazellic. Um, Ted has this hallucination. <laughs> he goes to the American restaurant. What is it called? It's called Yankee Doodle Burger Bart. <laughs> Beard goes, what's the rating? He goes, 2.7. He goes, we can do better. <laughs> I, lo- I love that, like, when he gets to this Yankee Doodle Burger Barn, the the host is putting on this, like, American accent. He's like, where do you want to sit? Windy City? Big Apple? And Ted's like, tell Mama Roxy Hart is coming home. And the guy didn't get the Chicago reference. Doesn't even know that Chicago's the Windy City. It's just absurd he starts hallucinating um or so he thinks 
Um, and then the team is debating for most of the episode on what to do for the evening. So that's, um, and that, that sort of how teams make decisions is going to be a big part of our conversation today. And the reason why we are so excited to have Alexis, because Alexis, you are, I would say, could we call you a decision-making expert? <laughs> yeah, you can call me that. <laughs> would you call yourself a decision-making <laughs> Um, I'm definitely a decision-making nerd. I've been studying decision-making for about 10 years. And yeah, I've got a lot to say about how the team was trying to decide what to do that night. So oh my I'm excited God. to be yeah, here. We're no, so we excited to learn from you. I can't wait. Yeah. Alexis, okay. For folks out there, we're going to add a little link in our description, but Alexis is an expert in organizational design and change, right? One, I think you have many cool things that you have done in your career, but you were at Zappos during the implementation of Holacracy, which was like revolutionary at the time. Yes. Yeah. It was definitely a foundational experience <laughs> in my career. Um, I learned a lot about what I believe about how people come together and how they make decisions. And um, I also learned a lot of things that I would never do again. Um, but, you know, failure is a part <laughs> of the journey of success. And um, and yeah, I've got many stories to tell about that. But my whole career has been about how to organize teams, how uh, organizations structure themselves to be better and to help them achieve their missions. Yeah. You and I met at IDEO and you are now a partner at August Public, which is a wonderful yes. um, consultancy that focuses on organizational design and change work. And you all do really wonderful work. So we're so happy yeah. to have you here. Um, okay. I know we want to talk to you about decision making, but how we need to talk about this hunky Dutch guy first. Oh my God. <laughs> And even though, even though there's nothing to learn from an organizational designer leadership development, we need to no. talk about this. We got to give it, we got, it has to have a moment. I, yes. um, this is how in my, in my mind, it's like the women that wrote Ted Lasso got together, had a bottle of wine and a, a pad of sticky notes. And they were like, how do we form the hunkiest guy in the most beautiful situation? And then they went through like an ideation session. And then that's what this episode is. Like, that's how it came to be in my mind. Yes. Every time you think there's a red flag, it's like, I was just waiting for the thing to come out. Be like, what's going on with his ex? What's going on? Why is he, you know, like coming on so hard? But the whole thing was just like a major comfy green flag. It was unbelievable. It was gazellic. <laughs> Virginia, what does gazellic mean? Okay, so the closest translation we have is cozy. It reminds me of the word huga. Remember, huga, I'm probably mispronouncing it, but that was like very popular for a while. This like sense of coziness, warmth, friendly, like uh, sitting by the fireplace, lighting some candles, but also just like when you're bonding with someone and it's just like feels warm and comfortable, that's gazellic, right? And someone's going to come at me and tell me I'm not doing it, but that's fine. Actually, like I want you to correct me so that I learn. So please. Also, if you're in our comments, that's great i would love attentions from <laughs> for this website so it's like that means someone's listening um no it was great yeah to your point there was like no you're always like it like because he wasn't creepy you were we're so used to like like just yes. i don't know something we were waiting for something but he was respectful yes he was appropriate <laughs> Yes, he left while she took a Ugh. shower. He left her that tea out. He offered to rub her feet, which was 
which I thought would be weird, but wasn't weird at all, was normal and lovely and great. I mean, the whole thing. I was just like, what is going on? Yeah. And he it was at the end of the evening after she had agreed. Because first she's like, no, I don't want anything to drink. And then she's like, okay. Like it was, and he was making sure that everything was her choice, whatever she was comfortable. She said, I don't want to drink. He didn't drink. When she said, yes, I'll have some wine. I want, when her clothes were ready, he's like, okay. And she's like, no, I want to stay. Like he let it all be her decision. Ugh, it was just so beautiful. I know. One I know. Of, one of the things well, we can't give away. We can't give. Alexis yeah. hasn't seen the final episode, oh. so we won't say anything. Yeah. But oh. oh, I was gonna say. I yes, I haven't. I haven't seen the final. Oh episode my god. Because oh, you know they tie everything together, so you'll see how. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was kind of heartbroken when they left, and and she didn't get his name, and I thought. I it just felt like a dream. Yeah, you thought I thought she was going to be pregnant afterwards, but they were they were trying to but, make you think that. But they didn't sleep together. But he said, "Yeah, but I don't know. I had some question marks if like they did or not." Um, oh wait, the- oh, time out, time out. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Now I'm curious, Alexis. Do you think they slept together? No, no, no. I mean, unless it was like an incredible departure from his otherwise, you know, very, very you know, reserved nature, unless something crazy happened. But no, I remember she asked the next morning, did we? And he said, no, she fell asleep while he was rubbing her feet. Yeah. Right. Kara, what makes you think that they slept together? (laughs) Did you see a bonus episode or something? The unabridged? I want to see that bonus You know, when the psychic told her that she was going to be a mother, I was just like, I was, I was trying to always figure out like when that was going to happen. And uh, so I don't know. I just thought it would be okay. Okay. Yeah. It would have been a little bit creepy if that would have happened. I get it. It's off brand. And I was just like excitable, but there was that part where she was like, did we? And he goes, no. But then she left and he goes, did we? And it was like this moment of inquiry. Oh, I interpreted that. Like he was like, did we? fill in the blank fall in love yes we did that's how i yeah apparently apparently your mind is not as dark as mine so we learned that today (laughs) but we also know like but he we know that he has a kid because she walked into her room and like her face lit up and i was like maybe this will be the way that she becomes a mom yeah i i had the same thought that was that was the connection that i made yeah okay yeah see it's fine You just wanted a little sexy sex. It's okay. <laughs> Thought maybe they had a little bit of wine. She didn't remember. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I was like, and then Rebecca's going to be pregnant. No, they alluded to that. I'm not crazy because they alluded. Yeah, they, they allude to it that she might be pregnant at the right because she goes and sees the doctor and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um. All right. Well, obviously this podcast is not about hunky Dutchmen, but we had to talk about it. We had to kind of bring it. I watched that episode with my husband and I was just like melting the whole time. And he was like, you need to, you need to get it together over there. I was like, is this not the, like the hunkiest scene you've ever seen in your, and he was like, no, Kara. I was like, I was like, I'm, I don't want to do myself right now. It's just like the best. The last thing I'll say about that scene is the other thing I was waiting for, in addition to waiting for this guy to come out with like a range of red flags, which he never did. uh, The other thing that I was keenly aware of the whole, that whole scene or series of scenes was just how incredible and glowing Rebecca looked after falling into a canal. 
Like, who falls into a dirty canal and then comes out? And I was like, what are they going to do with her hair? Because she can't do her hair. She's on a boat. And it's just this beautiful, like, must up hair. And she's glowing. And then the dress from his ex is, like, magically amazing and gorgeous. And I was like, if I fell into a canal, I would look like a drowned rat. A handsome man would not be wooing me afterwards with dinner. He'd be like, who should I get you back to? Who's responsible for you like get out of here <laughs> yeah let me call you a cab <laughs> uh, that whole scene was just dreamy people with money you know like you, she probably uses creams and serums that we've never even heard of and yes they do like a close-up on like her legs as he's rubbing her feet and her legs are so shiny and moisturized and hairless and i'm like I guess maybe rich people have laser hair surgery, but I'm like, where's the stubble? Where's the ash? Like, what? Where is she? I just... He would, hey, gorgeous. he wouldn't have cared. <laughs> he would have made some beautiful comment about how he doesn't mind a little stubble. <laughs> yeah. I do think about this all the time with, like, movie stars and TV stars and their feet are always, like, perfect. You know, of course, it was, like pedicured but it was like soft and like the body it's like as if she'd never walked a day in her life it's like you know just yes I'm like that's not like i mean i could get all the pedicures in the world and yeah i don't know um one more thing that was up on that board <laughs> of like everything that a woman loves like let's make a scene about it i also love that he was on a boat because we always have this like fascination with tiny houses like of course this whole thing started <laughs> of course this whole thing was in a tiny yes. house Yes, yes. A boat that was clean. And uh, I mean, what is what is the chances that a single man living in a small house has an impeccably clean, well-stocked, warm tea, candles, smells good? I mean, it really is. It is a fantasy. It's a fantasy. fantasy. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I love this. We could talk about this forever. (laughs) This podcast was created to talk about... organizational design and leadership development themes and i know we're all feeling a little steamy but sorry to douse some water on us here i'm gonna make a really hard pivot through decision making okay alexis you're gonna love this i propose i propose we change topics and bring us back to the sort of main theme of our podcast any objections Nothing sexier than decision making. Let's do it. Okay, so let me set up sort of why this is kind of a a main central theme in that um, the team obviously is down on the dump. So one of the things that Ted does, which is he says, you know, these are three words you won't hear from me often is no curfew tonight. So the and they're in Amsterdam, right? And so he just figured the team needed a real pick me up. So other than Jamie, who Roy is forcing to go run and whatever, <laughs> the team is super excited. And um, but what do they want to do? So Isaac, who's the captain, right? So in this case, mm-hmm. you can imagine him, the leader of the team, wants to hear everyone's ideas. And we hear <laughs> everything from sex show, boat tour. <laughs> The French guy, Richard, is like, the only thing to do is to go to Paris. To go straight to Paris. The, okay. And then Danny just wants to see one tulip, the museum. Sam's like, let's stay in. Oh, and then Jan Moss, of course, was like, my cousin's DJing a party that's two hours away. So all these options are on the table. But the thing is, Isaac is demanding that they all agree. Mm. Demanding that it be unanimous. He's like, No. He heard all the ideas, 
but he, it starts out and he comes back to it. it's like no we must all agree right and so even you know what I, oh, I haven't go ahead i haven't thought about before you said it virginia i think you're making this connection right now but let me just make sure i yeah. understand this i had not thought about the backdrop of the team doing so poorly up until this mm. point and how that might be influencing isaac demanding that they oh. all be on the same page that they all be unified so it's in that context it sort of makes more sense because the whole time i'm asking myself why is he demanding that they stick together because at some point the suggestion comes up that they just split up and yeah, they do different things exactly exactly and he says no and i'm like why is he holding on to this but i think in the context of where the team is at maybe maybe that's it maybe he wants the team to do something in a unified yeah, way. And, sure. and when teams start failing and organizations start failing, people try to try to put technical solutions even more. They're like, well, if I control, 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 this will be fixed if I put all these technical solutions mm. where that might not actually be like what they need to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's right. I think I think Isaac, whether intentional or not, is interpreting that if they were to split up, it's like, no, 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 we're like not cohesive. We're not bonded. Like, or yeah. like a reflection of his ability to be captain, to get everyone to agree and stay. Can I don't know. There's probably something there. I mean, Isaac's still learning as a leader himself. Um, right. But even when they finally all agree to do it, the, the whole thing starts up again, because what are we going to eat? And then we see it just deteriorate. The team is like, fighting they're screaming and then isaac's like how shall we proceed <laughs> and he's like just screaming yeah. it's like it's almost like a scene out of like game of thrones he becomes a different yes. person the way he's like yelling at yeah. the team and and i won't give away what they end up doing because it's like really delightful and a callback to like season one and two well i mean we'll get to that we'll mention it but i want to just talk about you as our resident decision making expert a yeah. decade of experience in helping teams and organizations make better decisions what jumped out to you about this scene i mean mostly just incredible frustration watching them go around and around and you know in the beginning it's sort of like okay they're offering suggestions everybody's got something they want to do and i feel like this happens a lot here's why i think this this scene is actually an, a good representation of of decision making because all of us have had this moment on vacation mm -hmm. when we're either traveling with our family or we're at a bachelorette party or we're somewhere and we're all sitting in the lobby asking Who's in charge? Where should we go? What should we do? And if you're lucky, uh, you know, like me, you've got that one friend who already has the itinerary, already has the plan, and you just ask, like, who should I Venmo and follow along faithfully? But for many of us, those end up being tension-filled moments of who gets to do what on vacation and who's in charge and who do we follow? And is it important for the group to be together? Or can we separate? So there's just so much in this scene. And I think it grinded me because it felt very true to life of how I end up in a lot of vacations with families or extended extended groups. Um, but yeah, I mean, I noticed the frustration. I noticed Isaac, at, you know, trying to get the team to be unanimous, which is something we see in organizations mm -hmm. a lot. Leadership, you know, typically will default to consensus as the preferred method of decision making. They want everybody to agree. And that can be for cultural reasons. Like we want everybody to be happy and feel included, or it can just be from this misguided sense that we can only execute if we're all aligned around something and we have all accepted the same answer. But the reality 
in most organizations, as is with this scene, <laughs> is that 100% consensus is nearly impossible to achieve. So how do we thread that needle? How do we make decisions when it is not achievable, the goal that we seek of 100% consensus, 100% alignment is not achievable? Well, So I think this yeah. Yeah, shows that. And then... I know this. I'm I'm cheating a little bit because I've seen you your you and do your magic with teams, but there are other like there's consensus on one end of the spectrum. And so could you talk about like the different modes of agreement, right? If consensus like everyone yeah. unanimous is on one end, what are the different forms of decision making that exist? Because the opposite would have been yeah. Isaac decides for everybody, right? And then there's a bunch of 100%. stuff in between. Yes. So if you think about decision making as a spectrum where you have total consensus on one end and you've got individual autocratic decision making on the other end, which is that command and control model of, you know, Isaac could have gotten up in that moment and screamed like, <laughs> we're all going, you know, to the sex show. And he could have dictated that in that moment. Um, but there are methods in between. And we so often kind of swing back and forth between that individual decision making and consensus without recognizing that there are models like um, advice decision making. So, you know, you could have said that Isaac, as the leader, as the captain of the team, was going to take suggestions, but ultimately use his own discernment to make a decision about what the team should do. And he would send the team in that direction. So that would have been an advice where they say, we trust you, you're our captain, we're going to give you our suggestions. Ultimately, we're going to follow you. Another um, option that we sometimes talk about is a consent model or what we call a disagree and commit mm -hmm. model, which is where Isaac leads with a proposal. I think we should go to the party. Does anybody have any data that that is unsafe to try? So you're just looking and mining for serious objections. And in the absence of objections, okay, this is safe to try. Let's, let's just try it. If you, you know, decide ultimately you don't want to get on the bus, we can change our mind or we can change our mind later. But ultimately, I'm looking for objections. So you could use that. They do use, employ a different model, which is democratic decision making at some point. And that sort of sits in the middle where he tries to get people to vote on the napkins, if you remember. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, they end up at a 50-50 split because of tulips uh, stands out. as the, And rather than making everybody vote again, uh, they then descend into madness, which you described later. Um, but yeah, I think the, the point being that we often think about either full consensus or we think about command and control without recognizing that there are other really valid decision-making models in between. Okay. You see that happen. Um, I love that so much that it's like giving people a language and different things to use whenever they're, they're yeah. in that moment, because I'll, it's like the same thing with delegation, right? Like when you're working with leaders, a lot of times they either think that they either have to give complete autonomy or they have to be a micromanager. And it's like, no, it's task, right? Yes. You have to, you have yes. to look at this task by task. You have clarity around the level of delegation that each one requires. Like that's a different way of thinking than kind of like what you say, like swinging back and forth. But I, I love yeah. that. Like that's so tangible of when you're making a decision, decide what model you're going to use and then use that model instead of like just like going in there blind 
Yes. And to your point, what happens a lot of times is that leaders will sort of boomerang authority mm-hmm. back because they are only familiar with these two models. So they say, I empower my team. I empower you, you know, go forth and, and make this decision. And as soon as they get a sense that that decision is being made in a way that they wouldn't have made it, or it's being made in a way that they don't trust, they immediately go in and they just boomerang that authority straight back up and say, you know what, I've heard some, uh, you know, some things from our stakeholders. They're not really happy with how things are going down. And they just swoop in and they take it. And sometimes it's not explicit. Sometimes it's that sort of creeping authority and they bring it back. But ultimately the feeling is the same if you're the employee, which is they said I was empowered, but I'm not really Mm -hmm. empowered. And if we could, you know, recognize and choose deliberately, okay, I'm going to use an advice model where my manager, I'm going to take their advice. I'm going to consider that advice. And ultimately I'm empowered to make the decision. It would make that process a little clearer, or I'm going to look for data-based objections. And if my, you know, manager or the leader has a data-based objection, I will consider that, but ultimately I am the driver of this decision. So it's, I think being more nuanced, being more explicit about how we make decisions can really be an unlock. I think it's also not just um, like explicit about the process we're using, but who is the final decision maker? One thing that you notice is that it's like, wait a minute, I thought this was my decision to make. In addition to like, I thought I was empowered, but just like the confusion that ensues. Mm -hmm. And we see a lot of decisions that you think are made being backtracked. And when that happens behind closed doors and all it's like it's not healthy it's not good it deteriorates the trust on the team it slows things down it's inefficient but that often happens too when there's no clear who is the final decision owner yeah Absolutely. I mean, the number of times I've asked teams for about important decisions and I've said, who is the decision owner on this decision? And they say, oh, well, there's, you know, like two, two people that are the decision owner. And I say, okay, who are those two, two people? And they all name two different people. <laughs> I mean, it, hap- it happens all the time where people just do not have clarity. That is something that the team did not suffer from. It seemed like they were all <laughs> really alive that Isaac was the ultimate decision maker and nobody at any point tried to wrestle that authority from him. I didn't see that. Um, But that is what happens typically in organizations. Virginia, to your point, it's like, am I the decision maker? Can I just make a proposal? And there is a ton of confusion. And not only is it, you know, confusing and lack of clarity, but it's also incredibly disempowering and disengaging if you think that you have power, but ultimately you know that you never really had power because something happens that shows the illusion of inclusion. Yeah. And what happens over time is exactly like teams get like lose engagement and they're like what's the point they're going to make the decision anyway what's the point i'm not going to offer any ideas it like it's all going to be performative that they're hearing our ideas and so then you have fewer ideas being shared people being disengaged people also like not being less accountable because they're like whatever they're going to do it themselves what's the point and it just again deteriorates that team's uh, like ways of working yeah Yes. And if I can for a minute, just make the case for why decision making is so important. Kara, you just mentioned one of them, which is inclusion. Decision making, a lot of people are like, why should I focus on decision making? You know, why is it so important? And it is a proxy for so many other important, critical things that are unseen in organizations like trust and inclusion and, uh, you know, psychological safety. So when you look at a decision making moment, you're really sort of cracking open 
all of these other dynamics that are taking place, like power and trust and all the things that we've listed. And it's such an incredible moment to study because you can really see the dysfunction of a mm. team when you watch them make a decision. Oh, absolutely. You watch them make a decision and you're like, oh, I see who's actually like maybe who's not in charge, but who has the most influence here. Or I see that people aren't speaking up. So it's a really fascinating case. I, I was like, I always, you know, inside of my practice, I'm always asking the question, like, what's the root, right? Like what's the root of bad behavior? What's yeah. the root of dysfunction? And uh, I've never thought about decision-making being like closer to that root, right? Like I've always looked yeah. at it almost as like an output, like once a team has trust and once a team is able to like have these conversations, then they're going to be able to make decisions. But but now that I'm hearing you say this, like a light bulb is going off that it's probably closer to the root than I ever gave it credit for. Yeah. And it, I mean, it may, I think that's a really great observation. I haven't thought about that root sort of analogy, but the way that I think about decision-making is that trust can feel slippery mm -hmm. sometimes. Like how do we improve trust tangibly? How do we improve trust? How do we improve empowerment tangibly? How do we do it? And decision-making gives us some leverage. It gives us a moment in time to say, if we can intervene here and if we can shift the behaviors of how you show up in decision-making, we're probably getting at trust. We're probably getting at psychological safety. We're probably getting at these other things. Yeah. Speaking of root issues, what do you like? I mean, I think I know what you're going to say, but let's just say <laughs> them out loud for our for our <laughs> audience is the root issues sometimes behind. We talked a little bit about like why someone might choose consensus, but you were saying, for example, and this happens all the time, like, well, who owns the decision? It's like, oh, uh, either people don't want to own it themselves or like don't know who to point mm -hmm. to. I'm always, that makes me always question like, how does this team or organization, um, what's their relationship with accountability? Like that starts, mm. and, like, and, and I'm not saying I like yes. immediately think it's, they're not accountable, but it's a clue that now I want to yes. follow because that I've, I've, I've been with organizations. I've, I've consulted with organizations when folks are really nervous to own a decision Yes. It's often yes. tied to a lack of accountability when that decision, they don't want to own it because if it, what happens if it doesn't go well, and then I'm going to, people aren't going to like me, or I don't want to be the bad guy who's got to be, make a bad decision. I'd rather be liked mm -hmm. than move us yeah. forward. <laughs> a to totally. A lot of times we talk about FOMO and decision-making, which is that, you know, I don't, I don't want to be left out of the meeting. I want to be there at the decision-making table. Include me, include me, include me. But we talk less about photo, which is the fear of taking ownership. <laughs> Right. So I, I think, it. I think it's such a good, it's such a good observation that in addition to everybody wanting to be included, nobody really wants to be in charge. Yes. And there's a little bit of, we like to dilute decision-making mm -hmm. because it creates more safety for us, safety in numbers where none of us are truly accountable for the outcome of this. And it's a great clue about psychological safety. Cause if you are so afraid to fail, you're not going to grab the reins of a decision and say, you know what, I'm driving this. I'm going to, you know, be the person who makes the ultimate decision. You are not going to want to take decision making. Authority. You know, what's coming up for me is like, so I, I'm going to take this out of work for a second and take it into parenthood. So I, I love Priya Parker's The Art of Gathering. Like, I think everyone needs to read that book. And like, I'm just like, I'm seeing a lot of parallels right now. But when I read that book, I was thinking... <laughs> 
about the way that I behave at birth, my when I'm hosting a birthday party, right? Mm-hmm. And like, so like she has like, and, and like, okay, I'm just going to go off on this rant real quick because I've had a lot of epiphanies with this. It's like hosting a party, but also like I always, I have this fear of people not feeling like they're included. So my entire yes. life, like I've always wanted to invite everyone to everything because I don't ever want anyone to feel left out, right? Virginia knows this about me. I try to invite everyone onto our podcast. Um <laughs> like but but so in that in that book she's like those are two things she's like if you're a host you have a responsibility and the other thing is is that you have to you have to leave people out like leaving people out is is actually caring about the event and so those are two things that have been staying with me so it's like now when i host birthday parties people are like what can i bring i'm like this is what my son likes right this is what my son likes this is yeah. what time you're going to be there. When you show up, I'm going to have the responsibility of being a host. And I'm going to set aside that fear of like coming across as like the type A boss person. I'm like, I'm going to be yeah. your leader at this. Like I'm just doing yeah. it now. I'm not going to be flimsy anymore. And, and then when I have things with my friends, like I'm, and I'm okay now, now, right. It's taking me a long time of leaving people out. And there's a lot of parallel there with work too, is because people, people, totally. they lead with fear most of the time that, that fear yes. of that, that photo thing that you just talked about, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. I, the thing that, and maybe Priya Parker said this, but I often find myself returning back to the sentiment of it's purposeful, mm. not personal. Mm. And, and this idea of, you know, people feeling left out and it's not about excluding somebody. It's not about not wanting them to have information or power, but it's that we've crafted a very clear purpose for this meeting or for this decision. And your presence isn't required. Your role just isn't relevant to this purpose. And so reminding myself when that fear begins to bubble up of, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm excluding people. Every, you know, is going to want it. I try to think creatively about how do I get people information in a way that doesn't mean inviting them into Mm. this decision-making moment? So is there, you know, some sort of open forum I can have? Can I have a town hall moment where I, you know, amplify the decisions that are being made so that people get information, but I do not need to invite them to the meeting because I have seen companies try to invite a hundred plus people to a decision-making moment. And it is purely performative because what is a hundred people going to really, it's chaos. And then everybody just self-censors because they like don't want to contribute to the madness. So even if they had a good piece of data to share or something useful to help inform the decision, they're going to self-censor themselves and say, you know what, this room is too big. It's not controlled. I'm not going to say anything. So, you know, numbers, increased numbers are not always your friend in decision making. Mm -mm. It's about being purposeful, about getting the right people in the room and being really intentional. I love it. Yeah. I think there's also like the, Kara, did you share this with me? Like the difference between being translucent and transparent. I think if you, um, and Alexis, you and I talk about this quite a bit, like how do you create a trusted process? So not everyone needs to be involved. Not everyone needs to weigh in. But if you trust the process that's being used to make the decisions, you're like, okay, they got it. Like, I don't need to be part of every meeting, every decision. But that requires like a level of over communicating, being very clear about this is the criteria we're going to use to make these decisions. These are the people that we are um, relying on to make the decision because of these reasons are there any objections? No. Okay. Let's move forward. And then like, that's why, like when the decisions are made, that's it. Like you've already agreed to this trusted process. Right. But that requires effort to make Mm -hmm. that process known. Yep. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I think process wins over individual decision makers any day. Having a good, trusted, thoughtful, well-designed decision-making process is better than having a couple superstars that you rely on to make all the decisions on your team. Um, totally. So I, I, yeah, couldn't agree with you more. This is the missing piece in conversation of how to make remote work so that people aren't having existential crisis sitting and looking at Zooms all day long. Like the reason why that's happening is because people don't have the gumption to say that I, this, I'm going to be purposeful about who I invite. And we, yes. we have, we're inviting people to the table who represent different thinking styles, right? Like we have, we have the people that are committed to the finance, we have people that commit people to the, to the process and to the vision, right? Like we've got all the thinking styles represented. We also have people in the room that look like our customer base. So we have all those perspectives. Mm -hmm. We're good. Like, like your, like how you think is going to be represented here, right? That's right. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Th this opens up like a whole new can of worms that we're not going to be able to talk about or resolve <laughs> on this podcast. But, but I've seen this happen in, I know we're not post pandemic. We're still very much in a pandemic, but sort of like the whatever, just bear with me, this post-pandemic where, where um, a lot of teams have now remained hybrid or remained, remained remote mm -hmm. is that what used to be sort of implied of like, oh, I'm being involved. This is how I'm getting information is no longer there. And so this like super strong desire to be part of meetings and then feel burnt out because you have no time to then actually do work is because of like, I don't know where I stand on this team. I don't know where yeah. I stand in this organization. Mm -hmm. The closest thing I have to defining my yes. status is my attendance in this yeah. meeting. And it's like, yep. Oh my God. It's so sad. But like, we're living in that existence because there's, we've, we haven't filled in the blanks. And so people um, are doing meaningless work. That is the problem. Yes. People yeah. don't know how to, yeah. people do not know how to architect decision-making with all of your brilliance, Alexis. So then what ends up happening is that people are, are sitting through meaningless bullshit every single day. Yeah. And then they're like, why don't, why don't I like work anymore? Yeah, totally. And I, I think Virginia, your point about it being a proxy for people's value to the organization yes. is so is so right because we when we don't have a clear map for how we contribute and how we are valued and where our greatest and highest and best use is being utilized in our organizations and we will look for any way to prove that we are valuable any way to look anything that feels tangible and sometimes attendance in a meeting feels like the only tangible thing right yeah for sure yep. um we're I, I want to wrap us up and let people know where this landed is that they ultimately decided when they were at such an impasse to do a pillow fight, which was adorable <laughs> because Ted brought it up in season one. Like, look, we can do a movie or a pillow fight. They're like, no, you're such a weirdo. And season two, he's like, one of these days, you guys are going to agree to pillow fight. <laughs> and so season three here, like, I love that they brought this back and they like, you know, they, cause season three is all about tying up these like little little running jokes um mm -hmm. and they have a blast they ha they have a real yeah. blast um before we let you go Alexis given that we're sort of um mixing up and mashing up all different styles on this episode so you've you've talked about the show you've talked about your expertise but I also want to hear like do you have a favorite character oh my gosh um do I have a favorite character I 
I fall in and out of love with characters depending uh-huh. on the season or the show. I think I have really enjoyed seeing Rebecca mm-hmm. come into her own and just her power mm-hmm. and go from being, you know, this sort of driving theme of, of her life being to spite her ex and to beat her ex and then watching her really transform into her own with her own desires and her own motivation. So I'm always rooting for her. Um, I hope Kara to, in your daydream, I hope she does end up um, <laughs> making sweet love to this man um, and enjoying her night. Um, I want only the best for her I want her to have <laughs> the best time I think she's just fantastic and I love I love the relationship between her and Keely too because it's so unexpected and there's such different archetypes of characters and just have completely different motivations but have found have found something that that keeps them together which is you know their beliefs and their values and who they are and the fun that they have together so I just I love her whole dynamic and the dynamic she has with the whole cast. oh wonderful well, thank you. I mean, we are so lucky. Thank you so much, Alexis, for your time. Thank you to the listeners. This was a fun one. This is such a good episode. I feel like we could even do a bonus episode. I could, I could listen to you bonus. talk all day long, Alexis. You are just so <laughs> smart and passionate. Like, <laughs> like the world needs more of you. How lucky am I? I get to work with her a lot. I know. Um <laughs> But we could, I mean, I feel like we could talk about so many things. Like the whole, we didn't even touch on Roy and Jamie that much. That whole thing was so delightful. The whole hallucination needs more time. We need to come back to this. The jazz. Oh my gosh. Higgins, like having Uh, a moment. Oh, it was amazing. I wonder, I mean, okay, I'll put it out there. Pam, don't kill us. Should we do a part two to episode six? Just to kind (laughs) of... You're just going to have to come on episode seven, Alexis. (laughs) You're our first guest, but now we're going to have you every single time. (laughs) Wait, no, Kara, the psychic told us not to do that. Remember when the psychic was like, she she said a man, she said a man, she said a man, Virginia. I don't remember. I don't think she said a man. As she said, there's going to be a person, a third person that's going to feel very tempting to invite, but don't do it. Oh my gosh. Don't let me be your downfall. Please do not let me be your cosmic downfall. I will happily exclude myself from this meeting. Okay, okay. Alexis, we we would invite you to the rest of the episodes, but we went to a roadside psychic and they told us not to. I just want you to know that's the only thing. That's the only reason why you're not invited to the rest of them. (laughs) Yeah, I will just remind myself that it's purposeful, not personal. There you go. Mic drop moment. (laughs) That's it. That's the perfect ending. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you again, Alexis. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we want to keep the conversation going. Share your leadership stories with us, whether they're dreams come true or some nightmares you want to talk through. You can visit us at poponleadership.com or over at Instagram at poponleadership. And a very special thanks to our friends and family who have supported us from the beginning and to Pam Rodriguez who helped make this crazy dream a reality. Thank you. See you next time.